You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. You know, sometimes just doing is, is half of the battle. And sometimes um, we as people of color are hesitant to, to be in the game if we don't see people that look like us. And I want to just encourage everyone to, yes, find your community and God willing, you'll find a few people in that community that look like you. But if they don't, don't be afraid to have allies there to support you. Welcome to the Black Business of Broadway, a podcast brought to you by the Broadway League and Black to Broadway. Here, we highlight the stories, how-tos, and successes of the Black professionals and legends of Broadway. I'm your host, Janine Scott. Today's guests are Adam Hyman and Rashad Chambers. Both are Tony Award-winning producers and part of the founding members of the Industry Standard Group and its subsidy of Second Act Theatrical Capital, the first accessible community investment and producing entity for commercial theater. Rashad is a Tony Award-winning producer, talent manager, and lawyer. He recently produced the New York premiere of the award-winning musical Little Girl Blue, the Nina Simone musical. His Broadway producing credits include American Son, Ain't Too Proud, Betrayal, The Inheritance, Caroline or Change, The Music Man, Top Dog Underdog, and the upcoming production of Fat Ham. Adam is not only a producer and founding member of TISG, he is also a performer and activist who has worked extensively in the arts. Some notable credits include NBC's The Sing-Off, Children of Eden in the concert at the Kennedy Center, Aladdin, Once on this Island, Town, and The Inheritance, all here on Broadway. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Adam, I want to go ahead and start with you. Um, so the Industry Standard Group is the first BIPOC commercial theater organization. Can you share with our audience the mission yeah, behind um, the group? The Industry Standard Group is a community organization led by the mission that everyone should be a stakeholder in our art. Um, we should be able to reinvent who feels like they are able to contribute to the decision making and eventually the profit of this really beautiful collaborative and generative art form. Um, and as a co-founding group, we came with the ideals of how do we uh, disrupt 
the antiquated models that are often holding progress back? How do we support BIPOC folks, marginalized stories, and progressive work to be fostered in this ecosystem? And how do we make that accessible to all? You know, the play on the word industry standard, I don't know if that's like, if if that was purposeful or not, but when you think about the standard in this industry, it is typically not us. And so to be called the industry standard group really tells everyone that you all are about reshaping the narrative and the standard that is Broadway. Um, Rashad, how did you all come together? Well, I would probably say that Hadestown is the nucleus for all of us because I think five out of eight of the founding members worked on that show or that producing office in some capacity. Um, but we all found each other sort of through mutual friends and mutual interest and um, that we all have sort of navigated homogenous spaces in our career. And we really wanted to be able to create a new normal. And all of us come from different backgrounds, whether it's producing or fundraising or marketing. And so we just use all of our talents to be able to create this entity to, re to really be able to um, broaden the number of producers and investors in commercial theater, but specifically Broadway. Adam, can you talk a little bit about the broadening of the investors and how you all go about doing that and why it's important yeah i think it's Broadway? so critically important because we are um very conscious of the cultural impact of broadway i think i think as a form we um sometimes even take it for granted that broadway or musical theater or commercial theater is an export um, but in order for it to stay um, sustainable, and I think rele relevant in its greatest senses, we have to make those relationships reciprocal. So we can't just be exporting these productions and this art out to the world, out across America. We also need to be inviting um, America, society, and the world in um, to feel like they're not just consumers, but they're participants. And um, in order to do that behind the table, um, we had to uh, ideate how um, just the legal structures or the practice of uh, investment is created. So as, as you know, producers situated in a perfect, a, a particular spot, we saw the perfect way to uh, contribute and disrupt was in the models that we understood. Um, and really starting with the um, uh, very, very like static barriers to entry, which are for commercial theater, needing to be an accredited investor um, under the guidelines of the, um, the IRS and the SEC, um, which you can look up, but um, in a high level is effectively someone who has enough wealth or enough assets um, um, to be able to receive a certain type of investment. And then the other threshold we wanted to disrupt was the high barrier of entry just for a minimum of investment. Um, 
and oftentimes, you know, the um, uh, the threshold to invest in a Broadway production is is in the ballpark of twenty five thousand dollars, right? So if we're thinking about just mm-hmm. uh, those two yeah. barriers to entry that limits the pool of who's able to say, hey, I want to participate. I want to be involved in Broadway from an investing or a stakeholder standpoint. Um, And then when we think about um, the networks at which investing and producing happens, not only do we have these barriers of entry, we also have time urgency and um, a a kind of uh, confine on how we invite certain communities or different um, demographics to the table as well. So all of it uh, just breeds an environment that um, continues to be siloed and continues to look like the same people get the same opportunities. So that's what we wanted to, to build a space in a community that was ready, that wasn't just uh, being reached out yeah. to, for a black show or for a uh, quote unquote ethnic mm-hmm. show when we want to bring people to the table. Mm-hmm. We were building a community that was ready to step into any project that felt like it met, met the mission. Yeah, Rashad, did you want to add anything? Yes, I mean, that was, that was really, um, an amazing description of everything. I would just take it one step further and just say, not only about the the fundraising and the stakeholders, but also challenging our peers in the industry to look beyond models and creatives and decision makers than they would normally hire. And so we've created something within our um the makeup of the company which we call the threshold of responsibility to really almost have a checklist and start a conversation about who are the key decision makers within the production which i think also goes into what gets made what stories get told right you know back in the day you know we had shows like dream girls which is one of my favorite musicals where there are a lot of people of color on stage but almost everyone behind the scenes was white so if we can take a look at the 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 build of a musical or a play and get involved early so we can figure out, okay, what's the story about? Who's the lead producer? Who's the director? Who's the choreographer? Who's the MD? Who's the general manager? And what does that composition look like? Is there diversity there? And if not, why not? And I think part of our work, in addition to sort of the fundraising and the access is really about um, accessibility and disruption to be able to make a difference and it'll start slowly but surely but it'll allow us to just continue to expand the number of people who are players in this industry mm-hmm. absolutely so you mentioned about you know looking beyond the, the, the same old kind of you know status quo how are you going about finding these individuals? Yeah, I think we want to start um, within our community. We want to start building community partnerships, right? I don't think that the industry standard group, if we're just talking about our initiative, um, is trying to necessarily reinvent the wheel in terms of community engagement. 
We're actually trying to work with everyone mm-hmm. that is in a collective moment of reckoning and say, hey, we're just doing our part to build something so everyone can access this one side of the, the table. But we need to do this with you on this side and you on this side. And it's less about um, being like this organization set apart or separate. We want to um, be useful to all. So that if we're talking about this field, there are so many um, theater makers who I think don't even realize they could be participants on this side. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say that. So we're not just targeting the investors that have been doing Broadway or who have been interested in, in, in Broadway, but looking at somebody within the community that maybe has been a stage manager for 20 years and has an interest in in seeing this mission be fulfilled or a costume designer or somebody in the hair department. There's so many people within the community that have their jobs but but want to be a part of the bigger picture. And so we want to encourage them and find them to be able to activate them to be able to do more than mm-hmm. what they traditionally and in have the done. nitty gritty, like it's not about giving up your career or your place and role in the industry. It's about lowering these thresholds so you can have a yes and so that you can put together your two coins um, in a project and through the, coll- the principles of collective economics, we're all contributing together as a community instead of saying, oh, only the rich are able to invest. No, we've got so many different ways mm-hmm. of contributing and having our portion, our talents, our whatever you have speak right we don't have to wait to say oh at the end of my career or when i've amassed this money i can contribute behind the table no you can do that now if you feel moved or if you are an avid theater goer or a lover or fan or from a different industry that understands how the arts connects to your field there's a place for you and is this, are you all just targeting people in the tri-state or is, are we looking Right now, the, the platforms that we're using and because we are using a specific regulation of the SEC, it's open to anyone domestically and then anyone who is able to, um, at the end of the day, pay taxes to the U.S. <laughs> I don't have anything to add. We, we, we are looking anywhere where money can be spent. <laughs> uh, we've been very lucky because so many of us are Broadway producers. We have, um, connections with other, um, regional theaters and presenting houses, et cetera. So ultimately we're looking for people all throughout the country and beyond. You're looking for people as far as a donation or you're looking for producers or people who or folks who want to join work, as or... investors, as stakeholders you... in um, second okay. act theatrical capital, um, which will be the vehicle that we collectively okay. produce and invest on, on Broadway. Awesome. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. 
But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No So, we, uh, Adam, before we started uh, recording, we were talking about, you know, there are so many works, so many diverse works that are on Broadway and so often they're not having uh they're not having as as long as a run as you know some of us would think that they should and uh we brought up the whole idea of marking we will mark dream girls as a black musical but we don't mark things as white musicals how do we go i mean because we're talking about producing we're talking about investors how do we take it from there from right there, you know, we have the work up to getting it to have sustainability. I think it is exactly where the conversation needs to be really focused right now around audience engagement, around how we're developing um, sustainable um, attention for the field. Um, And I think it it has a particular burden on shows that are written from a perspective, a particular perspective. Uh, For instance, shows that are written or produced or telling the story of a Black perspective often carry particular burden on this uh, uh, vulnerability that is industry-wide. The vulnerability that's industry-wide is that our, our audience engagement is very siloed. Our audience engagement is very targeted and it's very narrow, right? Um, And I don't think we're fully talking about this as an entire field, um, apart from the shows where it has a particular, like, uh, crippling effect. (laughs) A lot of these shows are led by uh, Mm -hmm. folks of color. Um, And, uh, yeah, I just think that part of how we're creating a community that is that can be diverse and much more accessible is adding a little bit of, of um, a solution saying um, your fundraising process doesn't have to be separate from your audience engagement, right? If the industry standard group and second act theatrical capital is a community that's, that's cultivating thousands of people from diverse places across the country from diverse perspectives, then receiving investment or having 
our organization join as a producer is already tapping you into diverse audiences. It's already tapping you into new marketplaces. And often we uh, separate those conversations, but those have to be at the forefront if we if we want to be telling stories that's that are particularly um, amplifying marginalized stories or giving voice to people who have not been seen on this platform before. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. I think we just have to continue to engage engage community and it really has to be from the beginning it can't be an afterthought because it takes a lot longer to cultivate that and it also takes a little longer for um certain audiences to know and understand that they are welcome you know where they had traditionally haven't been welcome in the past but i also think we have to just acknowledge a couple of things where we are today that people's interests have changed some shows have the potential and then they don't make it. Some shows come to Broadway because they're like, hey, we know we're not going to make money, but we have a really great opportunity for a better licensing deal and to be done at different regional theaters around the country. So I think we just have to be honest as we're moving forward. Like, what is our audience? And if we don't have it, how do we get it? You can't always anticipate something when you're planning a show a year, year and a half in advance. If we knew we were starting in September, then in March or April, we should have been doing you know, the community engagement and really trying to reach out to people and figure out how to get people there. How do we make tickets accessible while still being able to pay our operating expenses? Mm. Can you talk a little bit about, because I don't think people really understand, you know, why it's so important, why pre-sales are so important and how that drives uh, Broadway. And either one of you. Absolutely. I'll start because it's it's a conversation that I try to have with my friends just to help them understand. So, you know, when you're doing a show, you have your initial budget, which gets you through pre-pro rehearsals up to that first performance. And then once you get beyond that, the way you run each week is based on your ticket sales. And if you don't get enough money to make your weekly um, expenses, you're operating in a negative. So if a show is running from, let's say, January to April, and no one comes in January, February, and everyone decides to come in March and April, that means that the show is losing money in those first two months, which makes it almost impossible for them to ultimately recoup their expenses and make money so people are like oh how long are you running and i always say we're running until this date but if you don't come this time we won't be around you know so just really trying to educate people and help them understand we need you there early we need you to support during previews we need to get those advanced sales going so that there is money in the bank and we're not struggling to make it week by week. Yeah, I think uh, Rashad mentioned, um, you know, a key philosophy that is so dynamic is managing the advanced sales. Um, And, you know, this is a, um, it's a commercial endeavor here on Broadway. And um, that means you're managing risk in a volatile market. And you, um, of course, as, as Rashad was saying you have your weekly operating costs and then you can kind of um, budget based off of 
the ticket sales that are coming in week by week. But there's this other factor and tranche of finances that affects a lot of decision-making, and that's the advance. So that is pre-sale for shows that are much further in the future, not even um, being uh, collected for this week's of performances, right? So when a show announces um, it's going um, on Broadway and the advance or the pre-sale starts, that is a factor on so much decision-making, how much uh, advance interest there is. And decisions are made and marketing dollars are spent based off of those metrics coming in. And what we've also seen in the field uh, since the pandemic is that that um, advance kind of threshold, the period at which people are buying is shrinking. People are buying much more closer, much closer to the day they're actually trying to see the show. On average, it used to be around uh, eight weeks, right, in terms of the entire length of a run. Now we're getting closer to five, four weeks. Um, people are buying um, out, which means it's hard to know how to spend your dollars to fill the empty seats happening next month. Right. So then you're not thinking right. of you're you're thinking from oftentimes a scarcity standpoint of how do I just keep the overhead happening immediately instead of saying, hey, we're covered. We're in a mm -hmm. good, healthy place where we can manage our operating costs for the next three months. How can we think globally about Q4? How can we think further out to say, how do we cultivate um, new and diverse audiences instead of just being like, oh, we just need to fill these these empty seats right now. And then people start um, just relying on old mm -hmm. uh, ta tactics instead of. Right, right. And clearly those old tactics, mm -hmm. tactics didn't work before because otherwise we're going to yeah. just continue to get what we've already gotten. And we know that one of the things is that we've been trying to diversify our audience. And so if we rely back on our old standards and our old ways of doing things, we're going to continue to get the same result we were getting before. So that's probably not the best yeah. <laughs> strategy. Um, this is so, This is so interesting because I, I have this conversation with so many people who who see something closing and they're just like, well, I don't understand it. And I'm just like, look, we typically buy stuff last minute. That doesn't work in this industry. So to hear you all kind of break it down and explain it to the masses, I hope that people will understand that if you want to see these works and you want to continually see these works, that we have to we have to think ahead and we need to buy early and we have to we have to change our buying practices, um, which is going to be a mind <laughs> a mind shift for for a lot of us because especially you know look as people of color statistically we don't necessarily have as much discretionary income as others and also we just have to get to a place of stability 
you know, I think we, we had a year and a half shut down, then we opened back up and then there were, you know, different outbreaks of COVID. So people were buying in advance and then shows are being canceled. So then that changed the mentality of people like, well, I'm just going to wait a week or two before, because I don't know if the show is going to be closed. I don't know if I'm going to have COVID. So I think once we sort of get to a new normal and COVID normalizes like the flu, I think people may be more likely to buy things in advance. And it also depends on who's in it. Mm -hmm. So what do we Mm -hmm. do for the play that is really great and just has five amazing actors that no one's ever heard of? What do we do to, to educate the community and people around the country about the subject matter and the universal themes and make them want to see that if that's the one or or two shows that they can see while they're in New York, what can we do to show them? Oh, this yeah. is the one that you should see. I think there's also mm. um, when we build audiences that's that that feel like they have a place um, all across Broadway, um, we can start changing the interpretation and impression impression of what going to see a Broadway show is or how you integrate that into your life or the preconceived notion that um, a successful show is one that runs for decades, right? And therefore, if it's on Mm -hmm. Broadway, I can just catch it whenever it works in my life instead of being, oh, to be involved with Broadway means I, I should be active. I should be planning out how it can integrate in my life just like I, you know, am planning out uh, a date night or going out to a restaurant or going to see my favorite artist in concert and I'm going to drop some dollars for them because I know they're only coming to Madison Square Garden for this set amount of time instead of being like oh Broadway it's just this cultural thing that always exists yes but shows have very different lives and term lives and it's not just mm-hmm. a factor of, of success to be running for uh, years and years and years. A, a successful show can also have a, exactly. a limited engagement and be very specific about, hey, we're speaking to the audience and the society at this one time, and this is your chance to see it. I have just two more questions. The first one, it's for both of you. Can you talk to us about what you're working on right now? Want to start, Adam? Adam? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to start. Um, I just closed the amazing production of Top Dog Underdog on Sunday, which was such a joy to work on. And next, I'm doing a play called Fat Ham, which is transferring from the public theater. Um, it's written by a brilliant writer named James Imes, and James won the Pulitzer Prize last year for this play. And so we are starting performances on March 21st and opening April 12th. And I hope everyone will come check it out. Yes. Beautiful. Um, I'm working on several shows that have have not yet been announced. So stay tuned. Okay, there you go. Um, But (laughs) one that um, was so delighted to continue to be developing its its journey forward after our uh, run in Berkeley at Berkeley Rep is a musical called Goddess, led by the creative team of Jocelyn Bio, Sahim Ali, and Michael Thurber. Um, and it's a, a beautiful new musical set in uh, Mombasa, Kenya, following the um, uh, 
the divination and, and uh, drawing of uh, the myth of Marimba coming to earth to search for love. Um, I'm also really excited to be working in other areas and disciplines and ecosystems in and out of the commercial realm. One show and production I'm uh-huh. particularly excited about is a interdisciplinary dance theater piece by Diane McIntyre, the legend of modern dance and the avant-garde movement. It's um, a jazz and uh, dance and poetry piece using the the work of Intazaki Shange and a new composition by Deidre Murray. And um, that will be going on a uh, a tour in the 23-24 season across the country. Oh, awesome. I'm definitely at the LOB. Yeah, we'll be at the the Apollo uh, (laughs) for the New York debut next spring. Finishing. Yeah. All right. So for my final question, uh, and it doesn't matter who answers first, what one piece of advice do you have for the future Black leaders of Broadway? I'll kick it off. Um, My biggest advice is find your community um, and stick with them, learn from them, um, because... Um, to be a leader is, is, uh, nothing without, uh, being in relationship. So I think it just, um, you learn so much more and you're held accountable to the values and even, uh, energized through the peaks and valleys. So find your community, stick with them and make it mean something more than just being in the vacuum. Yes, Rashad. Yes, and I would say just be in the game. You know, sometimes just doing is is half of the battle. And sometimes um, we as people of color are hesitant to, to be in the game if we don't see people that look like us. And I wanna just encourage everyone to yes, find your community and God willing, you'll find a few people in that community that look like you. But if they don't, don't be afraid to have allies there to support you. Um, And because there's always somebody there who will answer that phone call, answer that email and be willing to help. So don't be afraid to go to that networking event. Don't be afraid to ask a question. You know, sometimes um, starting out can be very lonely and polarizing because you just don't know what your way in will be but i just encourage you to show up and eventually it'll all make sense and you'll just keep stripping away at the obstacles and to be able to achieve your goals shoot your shot i love it 100% in I think any any field any industry don't take the chance to do the thing and yeah because we get in our own way you know sometimes we you know we have what they call in a life coaching mm-hmm. world gremlins you know mm-hmm. the thing that that's there that's telling you I'm not smart enough I'm not good enough I'm not pretty enough I'm not this enough you know and sometimes you have to just go to the root of where did that start and and figure out how to um 
silence or diminish them so they don't get in your way. You know, so many people are afraid of rejection or afraid of failing. And I don't think you can fail as long as you tried because there's always some sort of learning lesson in that in that process. Um, so just do it, you know, and the more you do it, the easier it'll become. I want to thank our guests and you, our listeners. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to spend your time with me and I am grateful. Be sure to subscribe at bpn.fm slash bbb so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, tell a friend. I'm your host, Janine Scott, and we at the Broadway League hope you enjoyed this episode of the Black Business of Broadway. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.